Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which has been planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate a time of war, and a time of peace. Now, most of the time when this is read, they stop right there at verse 8. Here's how it goes on. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to us all to be busy with. God has made everything beautiful in its time and also has put eternity into our minds though we still may not find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy as long as we live. Also that it is God's gift to us that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in our work. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. Whatever has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? So this idea that there is, when you, when you look at it from that point of view, and it goes on to say a lot about judgment, about God's the one who judges and of course, even then, we're talking about that higher spirit within us. But judgment is not what we're about. This, this whole thing is about, you don't know. I don't know. We think we know when something's bad. Often we find out, oh, actually, that led me to a thing that I could never have gotten if that hadn't happened. Doesn't mean I'm glad that that happened. Sometimes it means I'm glad that happened. But when we're going through it, we don't know. We never know. But when we can believe, when we start from the premise that we are one with God and that God is good and all is well, and then remind ourselves and each other as often as we can, then we have everything that we need to not only deal with life's ups and downs, but to do what this prophet says and remember to take joy in whatever's before you. 
He, kept, he, he uses the word toil over and over again and then finally switches it to work. But what I think that means is that whatever is in front of you, is it the dishes in front of you? Is it walking the dog that's in front of you? Is it watching the cowboy game that's in front of you? Is it calling a friend who you haven't heard from in a long time in front of you. The point that it makes here that is so revolutionary is that one is not better than the other. Can you actually believe that? That we're all here to do what is ours to do. In the 12 steps, this, the third step is, um, oh gosh, now I'm, I'm on the spot. Uh, humbly, no. Came, no, that's the second step. Second step came to believe that um, a, a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The third step is to, I've only said it, you know, every day for the past 27 years. I should have written it down so I wouldn't forget. But the idea is that you turn it over to God. Everything, if once you understand something's not in your power and you understand that there is a power greater, not in your human power, not in your little bitty power, but in your spiritual power, in the infinite power of being one with all there is, when we can let go of it with our human selves and trust it to this all there is that, as the prophet says, we can't get our minds around. God has put it into our minds. We know it's there, but we cannot understand it with our little human brains. And yet, can we believe it? Can we trust it? Because if we can, this is what I love. When I turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God, <laughs> that's the third step. <laughs> when I do that with my heart, then Instead of judging myself all day about, did I take that over? Did I try to take that back? Am I doing, controlling things again? I might. It's just a possibility. I might say, then whatever I'm doing, it must be what God wants me to do or I wouldn't be doing it. Ooh. And if you catch yourself doing something that you don't like, you can change it. But you can change a behavior without judging it. Did you know that? And your behavior is not you. You are the magnificent. The behavior is just what happens here on earth. And this is one of the hardest concepts to get around because we want to call things good and call other things bad. And the moment we call something good, we make something else bad. In the newsletter this month, I posed some questions. What if... What if you were just 100% completely okay, loved, lovable, and perfect, just as you are? What if? What if you weren't judging yourself for doing things wrong all the time? I guarantee you this, if you stop judging yourself, you'll stop judging other people as well. Because you will understand that everybody really is doing the best they can with what they have. And when somebody's doing something that we see is really, really, really awful, then what we can know is they don't have much as far as guidance, as far as a connection to the love that is theirs. We all have that love, but we don't all know we have that love. So at every moment we can remember that we have love. This is absolutely true. And it's hard to watch the news these days. But I did a lot of study on this. No, I read a lot of other people's study on this. 
which isn't exactly the same. But is the world worse today than it used to be? Are we going to hell in a handbasket? Is there more violence? Is there more rape? Is there more um, isms, racism? No. From there is less violence all the way through history from what they can ascertain from graves, right? There is less violence from the time we lived in little tribes, which we kind of idealize. Ah, but at that time, if somebody did something you didn't like, you could just kill them. <laughs> and then they would kill you or somebody in your family, and then you would have to have revenge, or your family would have to have revenge, and then they would have revenge on you. That's the way tribalism has worked all the way through time. There's actually, the rates of violent death are lower now than at any previous point in history. The rates, the per capita violent deaths. Since 1953, there have been zero conflicts of major world powers. And there have been no international states that are gone because of conquest since 1945. In other words, we stopped going to someone else's country and saying, mine, and trying to subjugate the people. As a world, we've done this. A human alive today has less probability of being killed in a violent conflict than at any point in the past. Why is that? Part of why it is is that the, the, the theories are that we have a centralized government. So if somebody takes your cow or kills you, instead of your family taking revenge and stealing their cow and them stealing your horse and you're stealing their pigs and on and on and on, we have a government that says, no, 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 we have a, we have a form of justice and we're going to do our best to take care of that. Is it perfect? No. Is it better than constant tit-for-tat revenge from individuals? Yes. Yes, it is. The statistics bear it out. Um, one of the reasons is commerce. Because of commerce, because of trade, we are communicating with people that we would not otherwise have communicated with. In 1945, your average American knew less than zero about your average Japanese. And your average Japanese knew less than zero about your average American. When someone isn't human to you, it's much easier to hurt them. And because of this global commerce, which is what brought upon this global communication, we now are able to see people more in their humanity rather than in, you know, just theoretically some other. Another reason is feminization. I know we've got a long way to fight women, but there are more women in power than there have ever been in the history of the world. Unless you live on Wonder Woman's Island. <laughs> and rationality. We're getting more educated. We're relying more on common sense. Sometimes we can think through, oh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth leaves us toothless and blind. So maybe that's not the way to go. We can use logic to make our decisions rather than only acting from this emotional place. Those are some of the ideas of maybe why. So here's, here's the deal. 
we, because of that communication, because of that trade, because of that commerce, because of the globalization of the world, we see it in a way we never saw it before. The Vietnam War was the first televised war. And that, I think more than any politics, had more to do with the people who protested the war than anything else. Because to think of some other being killed someplace else is one thing. To see them in your living room on a box clearly being killed makes it personal. And so those things are hard, but are they good? Maybe they're good. Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be in order for us to begin to evolve to where we are going. So everything on earth has an end. We don't know what the end is. We don't know, we don't know when it's going to come. We don't know the big picture. And so we can leave it for a higher authority to make those judgments. Pay attention to what is ours. Ooh, that's not what we usually do. <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to pay attention to what you're doing wrong and even what you're doing right and worship you rather than make the behavior change myself. It's a lot easier. That's why fundamentalist Christianity still has so many adherents because if you just say, I can't do it, I got, I got nothing, but Jesus can give it to me and I'm going to worship Jesus, it's a lot easier way of life. Yes, there are a lot of rules and regulations, but as far as responsibility, follow this set of rules. They're written down. Everybody knows what they are, and you're golden. Whereas if you don't believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but instead you believe that he is one of the greatest teachers, maybe the greatest teacher of all time, because he taught love, 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 unconditional love, not love based on what somebody can do for you, not transactional love, not conditional love. He taught love. And so if he's not your personal savior, then who's going to save you? Only you. The Buddha's last words were reported to have been, work out your own salvation with diligence. Diligence is a lot harder than just putting it on somebody else and trusting them to take care of it for you. And if we find, if we pay attention to what is ours, our work, everything that's under our jurisdiction, everything in our hula hoop, if we find joy in our toil, if we lead a joyful life here and now and let God take care of the rest, what would this world be? Well, Rumi has a little poem about that, and it's, I don't know, I have many favorites. This is one of them. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Because when we're in that field, there is no each other. There is only one. That is the idea of oneness. And how can we get there? How can we enjoy? I think one of the number one things we can do to enjoy is to express gratitude as fully and as often as we possibly can. And I'm going to close now with a reading from Domingo Ruiz's Circle of Fire. For many of us, it is easy to give, but very difficult to receive. 
When we master gratitude, we can easily receive without feeling guilty because we know that by receiving, we give pleasure to the one who is giving. For example, if someone cooks a meal for you, the best way to say thank you for the gift is to really enjoy the food. The one who cooks for you feels pleasure just seeing how much you enjoy it. The same thing is true with life. Our creator gives us the gift of life. And the way to say thank you, God, for life is by enjoying our lives. Enjoying him is a way to say thank you. Saying thank you is the way to enjoying them. Life is passing so quickly. Even if we live 100 years, life is too short. What will we do with our lives? Should we spend our lives feeling sorry for ourselves, creating conflict with the people we love by judging them, trying to control them, or telling them, or situations, how we want them to be? Should we spend our lives afraid to be alive and to express who we are in this world? The only way to express our gratitude for life is by being truly alive, not hiding from life in a corner or watching life pass us by. The biggest fear we have is not the fear of dying, but the fear to be alive, to be ourselves, to say what we feel, to ask for what we want, to say yes when we want to say yes and no when we want to say no. To express what is in our hearts is to be truly alive. We cannot be truly alive if we're pretending to be other than we are. To live with gratitude is to enjoy every moment of this precious gift from God. We don't have to say thank you, God, for life. We show our gratitude to God by living in happiness and love. In other words, we show our gratitude by turning up the music, taking off our shoes, walking in the grass, unleashing the dogs, freeing the canary, catching a breeze, riding a wave, dancing every day, getting up early, taking a nap, staying out late, eating chocolate, feeling the love giving stuff away, earning it back, giving some more, and laughing. Really. Thank you. I'm going to take some of those ideas into meditation now. Let's just start by being aware of our bodies, where they are in space. And start in that awareness being grateful. In your mind, start thanking your body, all its parts, all the pieces that work together to bring you here today. Thank you, feet. for grounding me, for supporting me, for giving me a foundation for my body. Thank you, legs, for carrying me from place to place. the whole reproductive and digestive system that allows us, the endocrine system that allows us to function in all the miraculous ways that we cannot understand but that come together to make us. 
able to live in this world. Thank you, back, spine. For holding me upright. For supporting the weight of all the stuff I carry in my head. Thank you, stomach. And thank you, belly. You're mine. And you're beautiful. You don't have to look a certain way in order to serve me, and I thank you for serving me. We say thank you to our hearts for keeping us alive in every moment. We don't ever ask, heart, please beat. And yet, second after second, minute after minute, day after day, year after year, miraculous organ keeps us alive. Thank you, heart. And thank you, heart center, for holding a place for my emotions. Thank you, shoulders. You've had to carry a lot of weight in this life, and I am grateful. Thank you, arms, for providing me a way to pick up that which is mine and to carry it with me. Thank you, hands, for the ability to grasp and the ability to let go. Thank you, neck, for supporting this head where lives this unbelievably complex and beautiful and mysterious brain. Which communicates with everything else we just mentioned and more and allows us to do what we do. Thank you, eyes. Thank you, ears. Thank you, skin for allowing me to touch and feel. Thank you, smell and taste, for allowing me to enjoy this world in beautiful ways. Thank you, mind, which is not the same as the brain, but which animates all of this, the brain, the heart center, all of it divine mind is the on button for life. And if you did not live in divine love because of divine love, if divine love ever for one second stopped, you wouldn't be here. And so we thank you for this life and we thank you for whatever is after this life because we truly believe that divine love animates us here and when it stops animating our bodies, it does not stop animating our spirit. All it does 
is allow us to feel oneness in a way that is almost impossible for us to do with these separate bodies. Think of the amazing opportunity to know, not just to know or think or believe, but to absolutely have no doubt to experience that oneness where ideas and language don't make any sense, where the phrase each other doesn't make any sense because there is only I. The great I am. Thank you for this reminder that I get to love me every day. I don't have to do it by my little human self. Divine love does it for me. All I have to do is get out of the way and allow it to be. To open my mind. To know that grace is here. And life is to be enjoyed. so it is. Amen. <laughs>